welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. love this time of year when school starts again and uh, moms and dads are happy. Can I get an amen? Three moms and dads. All right. Kids are sad. I won't ask them. You know, they're starting their new grades. And I, I got to say, I love this new trend with all the, the pictures. You know, I didn't have that when I was growing up. It was just like, go to school, get out of here, you know. And now they do those cute pictures on the front step. If you see like kindergarten, first grade, and they got all those pictures. I laughed this week because it was all school pictures and uh, saw a funny picture because Pastor Ryan, he's in charge of all of our worship and all of our uh, worship pastors, they all report to him. And of course, many of the songs that we sing, he's written and of course his team with him. Well, he has been with us for 12 years. And on your 12th anniversary, you get a one month sabbatical. So you get a month away. And he just finished his month away and he was coming back to church on Thursday and his wife posted this picture. And she put it out there with the backpack, just like the school. (laughs) And it said, first day of work. And I just thought like that wins right there. Works so well. Welcome back, Ryan. Get to work. All right. New day. Yeah. I also love that this time of year, like college towns come uh, just alive. And of course, we have the University of Minnesota with our 20 plus Monday night service, which is really birthed out of our Minneapolis campus. We have all the students that come back. I just love this time. And uh, can we do this? I know it's just not exclusive to Minneapolis campus or to the University of Minnesota, the extension service there. But can we welcome all the college students back to River Valley Church and say, welcome back. We love you. Yes. I want to say this, uh, if you ever feel led to feed a college student, follow that leading, they need it. Uh, I was adopted by a family in Bible college and they adopted me in and took me out every Sunday after church for lunch. I did my laundry there. I was so grateful for the Smith family taking me in. Anything you do for the college students would be appreciated. Now, this month in September, uh, we have a guest speaker one week, but the rest of the weeks, we're going to be focusing in on one chapter of the Bible one chapter of the Bible. We're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4, all right? Now, there's a lot of chapters that we could have picked. We picked Philippians chapter 4, and I'll explain it in just a minute. I see some of you turning there right now or going there on your phone. Uh, Last week, our pastors all across the campuses preached from Philippians chapter 1. I said, just get us started in the book, and then we're going to stay in Philippians chapter 4. Now, for those of you that are unfamiliar, um, the Bible has 66 different books in it, Okay, there's 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, and one of those in the New Testament is called Philippians. Philippians is, uh, is a book, it's a, it was written by a man by the name of Paul. He was an early church leader, 
and uh, he wrote at least 13 different books that are in here. Of the, of the 66 different books, he wrote at least 13 of them. And uh, he writes one called Philippians. And it's, it's really known as uh, uh, the best, like the loveliest book that Paul wrote. It's known as a, a book of excellent things. And next week or in two weeks, we'll talk about excellent things. It's also known as a book of joy. In just the few chapters that are there, he writes the word joy 15 times. 15 times, all right? Now, I just felt that we should focus on Philippians chapter 4. Um, I want us to focus on joy. I want us to focus on excellent things. And I want us to focus on strength. All right, so that'll be this series looking at that. And if you're familiar with Philippians chapter 4, um, there's a famous athlete that signs uh, Philippians 4.13 with all of his autographs. Matter of fact, it's on his shoes. If you don't know this, Steph Curry, who is a believer in Jesus Christ, puts it on his shoes. And I think we have a picture of the shoes. And then we have a close-up. Go ahead and show the close-up. And it says, I can do all things. So if you buy a, a pair of his shoes, and he's not sponsoring this sermon in any way, shape, or form. All right, but if you buy them, you'll see that scripture on there, Philippians 4.13. And you're actually putting uh, that scripture on the shoes. And I love it that he, he stands up for his faith in that way and puts that. He's saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so we're going to look at joy. We're going to look at excellent things where Paul says, think on these lovely things, these good things. Feed your mind with these good things. And then also the strength that God can give us. Now, the remarkable thing about uh, Philippians, when Paul writes this, is he's in jail when he's writing this. He's in writing this. He's in jail when he's writing this. It'd be one thing if he was like living an amazing, incredible, like multi-million dollar Steph Curry life, and he wrote the book on, hey, be joyful. I mean, how many, Steph Curry was the number one making, you know, salary guy in the NBA. He made $40 million last year. How many know he could write a book on joy, right? Like, be joyful. I'll put that on my shoes. You know, I, I got that, you know. But Paul is in jail. He's in prison and he's writing this. So there must be something really deep here for Paul to give us. And uh, he's writing to this church at Philippi. And if you're not familiar, how did this church at Philippi even come along? If you want to take the time, you could read Acts chapter 16, another book of the Bible. Acts is a book of the Bible in the New Testament. And in Acts chapter 16, we see the Apostle Paul, he gets introduced to the church at Philippi. He really starts it, okay? So what happens is he has a, a, the Macedonian vision, and he's on his way, he's on this journey, and he stops in this town, and he meets Lydia. The Bible tells us Lydia is a seller of purple Goal. How many are right there? It's right there. How many knew I could incorporate that opening weekend? There you go. All right. I almost wore purple. All right. Skull. All right. She's a seller. It's in the Bible. It's right there. Seller purple. All right. She was a Vikings fan. All right. Seller of purple. He meets her. He does some ministry. He's establishing the church. Then there's this girl that is demon possessed. And Paul says, you know, to her, to the demon, come out and set this girl free by the power of Jesus Christ. The people in the town get so mad at him because she was a way for them to make money, so they throw him into jail. This is all Acts chapter 16, full of adventure, full of excitement. While he's in jail, something happens. Matter of fact, I'll read it to you, Acts 16, verse 25. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. 
Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's an amazing story right there. So that's how you have Paul, all this action going on. He's starting the church at Philippi and all this is happening. He gets thrown in jail. The the prison doors open and he's like, no, we're not running out. What's amazing is the jailer gets saved. His family gets saved. God does a, a, a revival, if you will, in that town. Then Paul gets out. He leaves and goes on to another city. Years later, years later, while in prison now, he writes this letter to these people and he wants to encourage them. He wants to encourage them. So now we are up to Philippians. He's writing this, and I want to go to Philippians chapter 4. And in the beginning, he says, he writes about these two ladies that are fighting. And uh, he says, stop fighting. Stop fighting. We need to have unity in the church. Stop fighting. I actually preached a sermon about this and, and talked about these two ladies years ago, about these ladies to stop fighting. And he asked another guy, like, get involved and stop them from fighting. How many are like, thanks, Paul. Appreciate that. You know, I get to be in the middle of the fight. Appreciate it. You know, but he's like, stop fighting. We want to have unity. And then we pick up where we're going to look today with our text in verses four through seven. And each week in this series, we're going to look at different passages and dig into them. Philippians chapter four, starting in verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. All right, there's a lot there, and we're going to dig into it with the time that we have here. And I just could summarize it really into four main thoughts. Number one, rejoice. Okay, number two, don't be a jerk. I know it doesn't exactly say it that way. But it says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Okay, we'll get there. So rejoice, don't be a jerk. And then it says, don't be anxious, pray. And then it says, God's peace will guard you. All right, there's some thoughts here. So the first one, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. How many are old enough to remember when the church sang that song? Oh yeah, and we, we even split the church. We're like, okay, today we're gonna sing this song. We really did this in church. Not River Valley, thank God. And we did it. When I was a youth pastor, we did in the church and we'd say like, we're going to split the church right down the middle. So you're on this side and you're on this side. And you're like, and you're going to sing this. And you're going to rejoice in the Lord always. And then they'd go, and again, I say rejoice, rejoice. And the director would point and you'd stand up and they'd say, rejoice, rejoice. And again, I'll say, I mean, we did that. Church growth was slow. It was really slow. But we had a lot of fun. But anyways, yeah. So we sang that song, but... Paul, that's Bible. It's right there. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. God is so good to us that he puts a command in there for us to rejoice, to be full of joy. Rejoice means to like rejoy, to take joy, to celebrate. It's not just have joy, it's rejoy. Like have joy and have it again and have it again and have it again. And joy is very different from being happy. Happiness is tied to our circumstances. Things go well, we're happy. Things don't go well, we're not happy. 
This is way higher than this. This is joy. It's independent of our circumstances. And it's saying rejoice in the Lord. If you're a Christian and you've said yes to Jesus, you should have things to be happy about. You should have things that you should be full of joy. You should have things that are filling your life with a joy that the world can't understand. I mean, we should be really the most joy-filled people on the planet, and yet I feel like we're missing this one. We're missing this one. I pray that our church is so full of joy that our greeters are the happiest. Our, our, our prayer teams are full of joy. Our ushers don't look like, give the money. They look like, praise God, you have an opportunity to change the world. I just pray that we're full of joy. I pray that the people that sit next to you look like, go ahead, take up the one seat buffer between us. We're full of joy. If you were looking at all like, we got two seats between us. All right, yeah. Yeah, we should be full of joy. I pray that every person that walks through the doors of our church, regardless of what they're wearing, regardless of how they look, regardless of how they smell, we say welcome home to these people. Matter of fact, we did it earlier in the service at some of our campuses, but let's do it again. Let's just welcome all the visitors and all the new people. We welcome you. This is for you. We're full of joy. Now turn to your neighbor and smile to them, all right? Give them a smile, just give them a smile. All right, now turn to the other neighbor, your less fortunate neighbor, turn to them, (laughs) smile, all right? Joy and rejoy, why? Why should a believer be full of joy? First of all, you are loved by God. You are loved by God. You should have a a joy, just a, a, a skip in your step. Like you are loved by God, you're forgiven of your sins. Everything you've ever done wrong, past, present, and future, forgiven. You should be full of joy. No matter what happens to you in this world, you're going to be all right because eternity awaits you. You can't lose what's most important to you, which is Jesus. The world can't take that away from you. You can't lose what you really value. You should be able to rejoice. It's a command. It's something that we choose to do. It's something that we should be constantly doing. It should be a daily habit of our life to be full of joy. It shouldn't be hard for the follower of Jesus to find something to rejoice about. I mean, we just have so much to be thankful for. One theologian said, Christians should live like they're suspended between past and present blessings. Like, I'm just, I'm blessed back here. I'm blessed up here. I'm, I'm just, I'm in between blessings wherever I'm at. I'm in between whatever God has for me. I have forgiveness, I have eternity, and I'm in between, and I have so many more things to be thankful for. Now, I know some people say, Pastor Robbie, you don't know my situation. You're right, I don't know your situation. I know God knows your situation, and I'm not asking you to deny your current circumstances. I'm asking you to count your blessings and rejoice. I'm asking you to look at the past and look at the future and rejoice and admit, okay, I know in my current circumstances where I am right now, this doesn't look good. I may not like this. I may not want this. I may, it may really be painful. I'm not trying to minimize this, but there's another book in the Bible. Again, for those of you that are not familiar, the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is an Old Testament book of poetry. And many times the people that wrote these psalms were pouring out their heart. They were, they were overwhelmed with their troubles. And so they were overwhelmed and they'd acknowledge it. They didn't say, God, I have no troubles. They would say, God, I am surrounded. I'm overwhelmed. 
I'm drowning. I mean, in poetic way, I am drowning. Evil are sneering. They're laughing at me. They're, they're getting ready to take my life. Okay? And they would cry out to God. So they would acknowledge it. They would cry out. Then they would get God-focused and something would change. So they'd acknowledge it. And so I'm asking you to acknowledge, cry out to God, but then get God-focused and look for something to change. And then the psalmist, after they would get God-focused, then they would leave change and they would be flooded with only the peace that God can give. And so I'm asking you to not deny your circumstances. I'm asking you to lift up from this and view God's plan for your life. I'm asking you to rejoice, to say, God, I, I can cry out to you, but I have a God view, a God perspective. And I'm asking you to get me above what's happening in my life into the joy that only you can give. We, we rejoice. And I love it. He says, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. And you ever wonder, like, why do you say it two times? Is it because is it it's hard for us to do? Because we're naturally like not joyful people. So he's like, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice, rejoice. He's like, come on guys, I know this might be hard for you, but I want you to find the joy. I want you to, I want you to do that. I think another thing is joy leaks. How many know that joy leaks? I can be so full of joy today and wake up tomorrow and forget today's joy. And tomorrow's troubles all of a sudden steal away all the joy that I had. And the next day, I've got to stop and say, wait, I'm commanded to rejoice. I'm commanded to find the joy. I've got to find the joy. And I believe this joy is under attack today. I just believe it. Joy is under attack. Social media attacks it. I mean, it just steals your joy. Speaking of stealing our joy, we, our family has just determined the weather app was created to steal our joy. That's what we say. <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's going to rain, no picnic. And I'm like, it's made to steal our joy, you know? And it's funny, I, I say it all the time, and then I'll look at it like, oh, it's going to be terrible. And then one of the family members will say, it's made to steal your joy. Come on, don't. And it's, so I'm not going to, but every, television, all these media influences, it's like they're made to steal our joy, and I can prove it. Like, how many know when you go on vacation and you disconnect, it's like, you're like, it's like you get hydrated with joy. It's like you come back from vacation, you're like, ah, ah, and then you're just, the world is just waiting to pop you, you know? Like, oh yeah, back to work. No joy. Man, somebody need to do a digital fast. A digital fast to find some joy. Proverbs 17, says, a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Laughter is the best tasting medicine out there. We should be full of joy. We should find laughter. We should find the hope that God has for us and, and just be filled with joy. And I don't believe you can be too full of joy in today's day and age. The other day, I, I, there, uh, one of the servers was taking care of us at a restaurant. She was so happy. She was so full of joy. I, I, she was just so happy. I just thought, she has to be a Christian. She just has to be. She has to be. And so I said, hey, bye. you are so happy. Are you a person of deep faith? Because I'm just, she goes, no. And I was like, oh. <laughs> so I was like, what do you say then, you know? And I was like, well, you should be. Because people as happy as you are Christians. And they should have the joy like you. And I have that same joy. And I thought, because you... All right, thanks. Check, please. You know, like, I was like, but I was like, I wish that that was such a defining thing about us that we we're so full of joy. People are like, you have to be. I am. I am. All right, so rejoice. 
And again, I say rejoice. Now, verse 5, which I summarize as don't be a jerk, really says this. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. The word gentleness there is a word that is translated a lot of different ways. Patience, forbearance, moderation, gentleness, okay? The Greek word really meant that it was living away beyond the law at a higher level. I don't have time to go into this all the way, but it was, it was saying like, live at a higher level. I know the rule may say this, but can you find mercy? Can you find grace for the people around you? I know it may be your turn, but can you find just a little extra grace? The example would be like this. A judge has somebody in front of them and the law says they should get one year. But the judge looks at the person, understands where they're at, looks at where they've come from, looks at the effort of where they're going and says, instead of doing that, I'm gonna go above the law and I'm gonna give you mercy. And the person walks out and is like, wow. And, and mercy isn't below the law, it's above the law. It's a higher level living. And Paul said, let your gentleness, like live at a higher level, live at a higher level because the Lord is near. Either he was saying that he's coming back soon, so come on, give grace and mercy to people. Or he was saying, because God is in you, because Jesus is in you, give mercy, give grace, live at a higher level. And then verse six says this, it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. He says, don't be anxious, but pray. And being anxious is a faith killer. How many know that I've never seen people with faith that are like, oh, I don't know. What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? I mean, how many know that's not faith? When people have faith, there's a calmness to them. And he says, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. You're not going to live in that world of fear and anxiety and worry. I mean, worry makes you smaller. Worry, you know what worry does? It makes you smaller and it starts to make God smaller in your eyes. Now, he's still as big as he's ever been, but you start to worry and you like, oh no, oh no, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? I don't know. I don't know. What are we going to do? I would say this, don't worry, start praying. I know Bobby McFerrin had, don't worry, be happy, but you can do it. Don't worry, start praying. That's what you gotta do, all right? Don't worry, start praying. That's what Paul's telling us to do. Martin Luther said this, he said, pray and let God worry. If you think about it, he's not worrying. Pray and let God worry. Now, it's so hard to do, and I'm not perfect in this area. So many times things face me, and then what do I do? I start to worry, and worry makes me smaller. And worry takes away faith. And I'll give you an example just from this past week. I was meeting with some of our staff, and this will be a confession to my staff too, because I almost called all of them and apologized. So there are about 12 or 13 people in the staff meeting, and we were dreaming. And we were dreaming of online church. And in my mind, I was like, we, we should try to reach 40,000 people on online every week. And we should try to reach countries. And we started brainstorming about reaching countries and advertising service times in other countries and doing this and having translations and having a studio and, and going state of the art and having a brand new thing that, and, and reaching a new generation of people around the world. And we're like, we could target million, we could target billions. And we just were dreaming and dreaming and dreaming. And then somebody said the price tag, right? And it was like a million dollars. And I was like, we don't have that. 
I said, so when we have that, we'll do that. It's not like we got a million dollars laying around. And I, that's how I said it in staff. And, and everybody's like, yeah, it's true. And then we left. And as I left that meeting, I felt this conviction. And God was like, what was that? And I was like, uh, he's, and before I could answer, I felt the Holy Spirit say, I mean, that sounded like anxious. That sounded like worrying. That sounded like no faith that you didn't even pray about it. You didn't even say it's a million dollars. We should pray about it. And you, everybody is kind of like, yeah, yeah. And I felt the Holy Spirit say like, I wouldn't follow a pastor like that. I was like, ooh, all right, yeah. And I, you know what I did? In that moment, I repented right there. I repented. I said, I, I want to dream in a way that says anything is possible. God, I'm going to bring my request to you. I, I want to be full of faith. I want to be full of, of believing that you're a God that answers prayer. I want to believe that you're a God that will, will cause something to happen where that money will make its way in and we could reach nations and do better online and, and, and do a YouTube channel and do all the, I mean, I was like, I want to believe that way. So to all my staff, this is my apology. And to the church, this is just an example that you get anxious and we start to, how will this happen? And when will it? And, and we don't have that. And, and you know what happened? And then worry starts to make faith die and faith dies. And then you don't even pray. And he says, don't be anxious, pray. Start to pray, ask God. The reason that Paul could say this was because Paul didn't like miss prayer or accidentally forget to pray at the end. He started with prayer. Okay, we're facing this, let's pray. Let's pray, let's go after this, let's do this. And it says, bring your prayer and your petitions, all right? Bring your prayer and your petition. Let me just share this with you. Prayer is the general things we do. Petition is the specific things. And then it says, fill it with thanksgiving. So let me just explain this to you real quick. There's general prayer that we should pray. There's specific prayer we should pray. And then we should smother it like gravy with thanksgiving, all right? Somebody just got hungry. You're like, ooh, gravy. All right, so let me give you this example from my life. This last week, I was praying, and I pray a virtue over our family, okay? And in my journal, I have, you know, I'm praying for our family to grow in love for God. So that's a general prayer. So I was bringing a general prayer to God, and I said, God, I thank you, and I, I pray that my family will be loving, and they will grow in their love for you, general. But then I brought a supplication, and in this service where I'm preaching live, he's here, I said, God, I want you to heal my friend Scott. And that was a supplication. So generally I'm praying for my family. Then I'm supplicating with this. And I'm saying, God, I want you to heal my friend. It's, a, it's an exact thing. And then I smothered it with thanksgiving. And I said, because I know you're a good God. And I've seen you done, do great things. And I know you heal. And God, I know his healing is in heaven. And I pray it would manifest in his now. And I thank you. And I started to thank him in advance for healing. Okay, I'm just sharing this with you. And, and, and so as I'm praying this, then I get this thought of like, why am I thanking in advance? And I thought, we do this all the time. We do this all the time. You should thank God in advance for what he promises he will do in his word, even though it hasn't come into your now. How do we do it? Let me give you another example. Chris and Hannah Bechtel are, were pastors at our Shakopee campus, and they are going to plant a church in Utah. 
Okay, so they're stepping on faith. And I said, okay, we love that you're doing this. And whenever you do that, we wanna bless you. And so we're gonna invest $75,000 of kingdom builders for next year in 2020. We're gonna invest uh, $75,000 of kingdom builders in your next year. Okay, are you tracking with me? So they're stepping out in faith. They have now stepped out and left Shakopee campus. They're gonna go to Utah, start a church. And I said, next year, we're gonna give you $75,000 towards your church plan. What did they do? They said, thank you, thank you. Thank tears, thank you, thank you, thank you. They just, thank you, so good. As we leave that night from dinner, they're like, thank you, thank you, thank you. I haven't done anything. You haven't even given the money yet. (laughs) But what do they do? They thank me in advance. They thank you. They thank me on behalf of you, okay? In advance. We haven't done it yet. But you know what we did? We said we would do it. They knew we were good to our word. And so they thanked us in advance for what we will do. When you pray, you bring your general things to God, you bring your specific things to God, and then you smother it in thanksgiving. You thank him for what he will do, what he has done, and what he promises. Come on, let's give God praise for that. And pray for Scott every day. All right. Last thing, he says, and then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. He said, the peace of God will guard your heart. If you live this way, if you're rejoicing, if you're being above the law and being kind and full of mercy, if you'll pray and not be anxious and you'll thank God for what he's doing in your life, you know what's gonna happen? The peace of God will guard your hearts and mind. And it means that like a guard, like a sentinel, When the enemy comes to attack you, the guard of God will be there keeping it away. And that's how we live differently. That's how we live in the midst of a storm with a peace that the world can't understand. That's how we live in a world where they're like, you don't have enough. And they're like, yeah, but I got the peace of God and I've given him praise. I've given him thanksgiving. I brought the general things to God and the specific things to God. I've thanked him and I've got peace. You're crazy. No, I'm not crazy. I have peace. I have peace and it's a peace that the world can't give. The only way I could have this is because God is surrounding my heart and my mind right now with a guard that is up and he's giving me a peace in the midst of this storm. Beautiful, beautiful chapter with so much more in it, but I pray you'll grab hold of this. Some of you need to rejoice more. Matter of fact, I just commission us all to rejoice more. Many of us need to hear that verse just to be gentle, not be a jerk find mercy, find grace. We need to not be anxious and pray more and say, God, we will pray generally, specifically, and we will smother it with thanksgiving. And lastly, we will have the peace of God guard our hearts and our minds. So Lord, I pray for that right now. I pray that this beautiful book that encourages us, full of joy, you inspired Paul to write it. And now thousands of years later, we get to be inspired by it as well. And so God, we pray for these things, that we would do these things. Fill our church with joy. Fill it with just rejoicing and over and over again, joy after joy after joy. I pray that we'd be the kindest, most gentle, loving, forbearing people, that we'd, we'd live above law in mercy and grace. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would do these things, that we'd live this way. I pray that we'd pray and pray and ask and smother the general and the specific with thanksgiving. 
And lastly, God, I pray that your peace would guard our hearts and our minds. Many people in this place and in all of our campuses are struggling. God, give them peace, give them grace, protect them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen.